John chapter 6. We're going to be looking this morning at preparing our hearts for communion, and we're going to take a few moments to do that before the men will come and we'll serve communion this morning. Before I go any further, some of you may, having come in today and saw this table, you may be thinking to yourselves, should I receive communion today? Should I receive communion today? Some of you didn't even know that communion would be taken today or offered. And some of you knew, but you're not sure whether you should, whether your heart is in the right place to do it. But I would answer that question to every one of you this morning by saying this, listen to the Word of God today. Listen to the Word of God and examine your own selves the Apostle Paul said in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And then he said, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Now, I understand we all know that there's nothing in us that makes us worthy of the body and blood of Jesus. That's not what he's referring to. He's saying, Is the condition of your heart and the way in which you're living right now, does it have you in the proper place that you could come with full assurance and integrity and take this, this cup and this bread? But the answer to that might be no. Right now in this moment, the answer to that might be no. But Paul says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So, in the next few moments, you will have an opportunity to examine yourself. Examine your own heart and life. And be able to answer with integrity before the Lord, yes or no. Can I, should I? So, with that being said, John chapter 6 this morning, as we, before we pick up the reading in the chapter, I want to give us the context of it. Jesus has just fed the 5,000, and the people are enthralled with him. This is an amazing thing. I mean, the Jesus for King campaign is in full swing right now. They are loving it. He has to be the one because look what he has done. But Jesus sees through the error that these people have. They were more interested in a God who could satisfy their earthly desires rather than in knowing the actual bread from heaven who stood right in front of them. And for many in the crowd, Jesus was a means to an end. And the end wasn't even an eternal end. It was getting what they wanted now, but they also hoped to get heaven thrown in as a bonus. Today we live in a church culture that still has a Jesus like that. A Jesus that gives us what we want and satisfies our desires and we get to go to heaven when we die. But I tell you, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. It wasn't the Jesus of John 6 and it's not who Jesus is today. Jesus summons us on his terms, not on ours. Now, with that being said, I want to begin reading verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Your God is your belly, in other words. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? 
Jesus answered and said unto, him, unto them, This is the work of God. There's two major questions. This is a sideline, but it ties into what we've been preaching. Two major questions get answered in this passage. Number one, what is the work of the Lord? Paul says, Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Well, what is that? Well, you know, the work of the Lord is preaching and singing and teaching and witnessing and soul winning and all those, you know, handing out tracts and all that stuff. Well, let's answer what is the work of the Lord. Jesus said, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's the work. That's the only work God asks out of you. Isn't that good? Now, if you believe on him the way you should, there'll be some works that'll come out of that, right? They said, therefore, unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? Our fathers did eat man in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. And they said unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread then. Give it, give it to us now and give it to us tomorrow and give it to us every day. Well, that's what he wants to do. But as we read on, Jesus says to them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Hunger and thirst are important words. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. I told you there's two questions to be answered, two major. What is the work of the Lord? Now watch this. And, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but I should raise it up again at the last day. The will of the Father for Jesus was that he would come and all that the Father would give him, he would lose not one of them. Now, what is the work of God to believe on Jesus? Now the second question, what is the will of God? That's what we've been preaching on. Verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The work of God and the will of God are the one and the same, aren't they? Believe on Jesus. Believe on Jesus. And I think there's more to that than we understand. I think there's more there than we have realized what God is saying to us about believing on Jesus. The Jews then murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I, I came down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man comes to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God. He hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever, and the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And this is the verse I want to bring the thought out of entitled the message this morning. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh 
to eat? Now that is a good question to ask on a morning when we are going to observe communion. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And I see in the passage before us and in the remainder of the chapter, which I will address and, and draw your attention to, I see what can be called the very beginning of the controversy of communion. There was a controversy, a great controversy in this day. And in the end, many, many walk away and follow no more as it shows us in the latter part of the chapter, verse number 66. Why did they walk away? Because what Jesus says here is very controversial to them. In their mind, what they hear is cannibalism. This man has said that we're to eat his flesh and drink his blood. Now, this would be offensive to any sane, normal person, but these were Jews. I mean, they had laws about what you could eat and what you couldn't eat and you couldn't have the blood with the animal and all that. And here this man who claims to be from God is saying, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And what Jesus says here is controversial. Jesus is deemed an extremist wacko by many in the crowd that day. And he's not to be trusted because he's taken this whole thing way too far. He's just gotten way too serious about this. And that was enough. And many of them leave. It's been called by different names. The Lord's Supper, Communion, the Eucharist. That name sends tingles up and down the Protestant and evangelical, more the evangelical spine, doesn't it? The Eucharist is just the word that means Thanksgiving. But Jesus calls it something else. In verse 55 and verse 56, For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Jesus calls it eating and drinking. Now, has there been controversy over communion? Of course there has. From Roman Catholicism, through the Protestant Reformation, to the evangelical movement, this thing of eating the Lord's body and drinking his blood has been very much debated over. But I would submit to you that the greatest controversy over communion in our type and style of church is the ignorance and indifference that has grown over the decades, maybe the centuries, in which we do not see the relevance, the seriousness, and the magnificence of this ordinance as we refer to it. If we could search the hearts and minds of the people sitting here this morning, this is, not a, this is not a negative statement about us as a whole or you as an individual, but I believe if we could all be as honest and candid as we could possibly be, many of us would say, I really don't get it. I know we do it. I know it's something that, you know, we do it quarterly or whatever. I, I, but I don't really get it. I don't know what this is all about. Now, it's okay to admit that, but it's not okay for us to stay in that place of ignorance. We have to learn. Otherwise, what we do here is vain. It means nothing. And that's not what God wants for us. In the early, earlier centuries of the church, receiving communion was a major thing. You've read about it. You've seen it portrayed before. People would receive communion at the wedding altar. People would receive communion on their deathbed. Now we, who have been made cynical and jaded, us, us Baptist fundamentalists, 
Every time we've seen or heard that, we say, ah, oh, bless God, they're trusting in that to get to heaven. Some may, but perhaps what they're doing is they're doing exactly what Jesus teaches here. And they're receiving and eating and drinking his flesh and his blood as an act of their faith and to receive the grace that he offers in their life for that moment or that season that they are entering into. Wouldn't be a bad thing at the wedding altar to receive a communion if you understand what communion is and acknowledge to God that, Lord, we're about to enter into something we've never done before. And the truth to be told, this is a little bit stressful and we need grace. When we lie on our deathbed, if we understand what communion really is and we, we call that the, the elders of the church would come and give us that opportunity to once again express our faith in our risen Lord and that we receive Him as our Savior. We're entering into something we've never done before, death. We might not be so quick to criticize those who have done that. What is the eating of the flesh? The Catechism of the Catholic Church describes it this way. By the consecration... Now, time out. I'm not going to agree with what I'm about to read. I want to make sure you know that up front. Some of you are like, oh my goodness, where is he going now? Gotcha. But listen to this. What is the eating of the flesh? According to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the consecration of the bread and wine, there takes place a change of the whole substance of the bread into the substance of the body of Christ our Lord and of the whole substance of the wine into the substance of His blood. This change, the Holy Catholic Church, has fittingly and properly called transubstantiation. It is to say that the very bread becomes the very body of Jesus when you take it into your mouth. And that the very wine becomes the very blood of Jesus when you receive it into your body. That is not what we believe. And it is not what Jesus teaches here. We do not need to sacrifice the body and blood of Jesus again. Jesus has done it once and for all. We are sanctified, Hebrews 10.10, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. His body does not have to be given again. His blood does not have to be shed again. It has been done once for all. So what did Jesus mean then? What are we doing here this morning when we take the bread and the cup? You've heard the expression before, seeing is believing, right? Well, if we really hear Jesus and understand what he says, according to Jesus, eating is believing he says this multiple times in this discourse of John 6 he equates the eating and the drinking of his body and blood with believing on him and that's the point of the entire thing not to literally take a bite out of Christ but that we would truly believe on Christ John 6, 27, 29, I read earlier, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. This is the context of his teaching, that we would know to believe on him. He says later on, verse 33, For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I have said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. 
Verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And again, verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. As Jesus speaks of eating his body and drinking his blood, he is illustrating for us that, that this is an act of our faith. It is an expression of our believing on him, of receiving him, of coming to him. And he literally explains the literal meaning of everything he has said thus far when you come to verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. That flour and water and that juice in the little cup is in and of itself of no profit. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. It is literally not a matter of the physical, but it is a work of the spirit. The receiving of Jesus' body and blood is not some intellectual thing or some physical transubstantiation. It is a work of the Spirit in us. It is grace. It is on our part faith. And that is why it is not wrong to call this a sacrament. You know, it, it, that sends a tingle up the spine of the fundamentalist. But a sacrament simply means a divine or holy means of grace. And that is what this is. We call it an ordinance. I think we like that word because we traditionally favor the ideas of rules and regulations. And an ordinance is a prescribed act of obedience. Do this. Now Jesus said, do it. But we like to think of it in terms of if I do this, my obedience pleases God. Right? Even if I don't understand what I'm doing. And Lord have mercy. The same can be said of baptism most of the time. But sacrament is a word that has the idea of a willing and humble reception of grace. I come to this table and to this hour not to make God pleased with me or to prove that I am a Christian, but I come meek and lowly and humble realizing I need Him. I need what He is offering me in His body and in His blood. And I'm not seeking to start a controversy over what terms we use this morning of the table. It doesn't matter to me. Matter of fact, we call it the Lord's Supper, and here we are, I ain't even had lunch yet. That's not the point either, is it? The point is that we should be knowledgeable about what we are doing this morning because it will matter, it will mean more. Okay, then there's a question that yet has to be answered then. Why, then, does he use the illustration and analogy of eating and drinking? I mean, why not hearing and meditating? That, that would work, too, right? To hear the Word of God, that's spoken of in other places, to meditate on it. But when he gave this that night, he gave it in eating and drinking. Why? When we eat and drink, our body absorbs the food. It absorbs the nutrients and the energy, and it becomes our own. We take it into our own selves. It gives us life. And in the same way, when we believe on Jesus, we are taking Him in. We are receiving His nutrients and His energy for our entire soul. We are feasting on Him. 
not in the bread and the wine, but in the bread and the wine, we are calling to remembrance what this is about. We are demonstrating the faith and we are nourishing our soul on the very life of Jesus. Doing that is more than the little bread and the tiny cup. We are engaged in this for a public witness. We say when we do this publicly, nourish ourselves on the body and blood of Jesus. We say when we are doing this publicly that it is the thing we do personally every day. And if we understand then the context of Paul's teaching that if you do this unworthily, if I come to this table today and I take the bread and the cup before all of you and I say, yes, I nourish my life daily on Jesus, but the truth is I nourish my life on everything under the sun except Jesus. I'm a hypocrite and I'm receiving it unworthily. But what can I do? I can examine myself and I can be honest about that and I can say, Lord, I know that's true of me, but I don't want that to be true of me. I know that I need you and I know that I have nourished myself on the world and it's left me anemic and it's left me weak, but I want to grow in grace. I want to know more of you. And you can repent and you can confess that to the Lord this morning and you can come and take Christ without worry. His invitation is still there. His, the idea behind all the admonition is not to keep you back. The admonition is to say, get it right. And come, come, come for what he offers you. If we're not receiving Jesus daily and absorbing his life as our own, then what we do here today is nothing more than crunching a cracker and tasting a little Welch's. And it won't matter. Now, we're about to serve. But before we do, I want to give you five words that will help us to understand this outward act of eating and drinking as it is manifest in our hearts as an inward grace which will help transform us more and more into Christ-likeness. Now for some of you, all of you really, but some of you that will do these things, you need to write these words down. And you need to take them today and you need to think about them. So the next time we have communion, you come more ready than you've ever been. Let me give you five words, all beginning with the letter R, that will help us when we eat the bread and drink the cup. Number one, it is remembering. To eat the bread and drink the cup, it is remembering. And I believe we get this part pretty well. I believe that we understand that part pretty well. Because it's a call to remembrance, specifically to remember the love of God through Jesus shown to us in His death on the cross. Jesus said, this is my body which is given for you, this do in remembrance of me. We get that part of it pretty well, I think. We know we do this to remember, but I don't know anybody like this. I've often wondered about this. Well, if this is all about just remembering that Jesus died for me, why is it so significant? I mean, really, every day I'm thinking about that, and every church service is a call to remember that. So I don't think that's enough, is it? But it's, it's special in the act of eating and drinking and the acknowledgement and the in informing of my soul that I am receiving that by faith to nourish me. That's important. Second word, it is receiving. Consider, again, the elements on the table this morning. Bread represents the body of Jesus, and bread is a symbol of strength. We receive the strength of Jesus in our lives. That's what we're doing. We're saying, I receive the strength of Jesus into my life. When I eat, I am testifying, Jesus, I need your strength. I eat this bread in faith 
to say that you are the strength of my life. Wine represents the blood of Jesus. Wine is a symbol of joy in the Scriptures. So we receive the joy of Jesus in our lives today. When we drink, we testify, Jesus, you are the joy and rejoicing of my heart. I have no other that gives my heart joy. You are the fountain of joy. And I drink this cup in faith to claim the joy that you have given to me. It's receiving. Number three, it is resting. As we take these elements today, we are bringing our soul into the rest of Christ's merit. I receive this knowing that I am forgiven. I receive this and I have assurance. I don't have assurance because I take the cup and the cracker. I have assurance because of what it means. Because I have taken the life of Jesus for my own. He offered it to me on the cross. And I take it. I take the life of Jesus. Oh, this might be a minimal act at a few moments of time, but it represents my life. This is how I live. It's a communion life. Resting in the promises and in His finished work. Number four is rejoicing. Rejoicing. I come to this table both with a somberness and with a celebration. I know that Jesus suffered for my sin and I know that He died in my place, but I also know that He arose. I know that He's promised to come again and receive all who believe. So we take the bread and the cup as implements of rejoicing in the hope of His coming. Jesus said in Luke 22, He took the cup, gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. In Matthew, He said, I will not drink it again until I drink it in the new kingdom. <laughs> I love those verses. Because it reminds me that, and I know, I, I know some people think it's weird, but there's something about taking that little cup and giving a toast. Kind of a preview to the supper that's coming one day. When Jesus himself will stand before his body, his bride, and he will raise the glass and offer the toast that we will all join in on and say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lamb. <laughs> so when we do that today, we do it as a thing of rejoicing. Number five, it is renewing. One of the things that happened here in John 6 was there was a line drawn, wasn't there? A dividing line was drawn. A line of devotion. In other words, some went on with Jesus, but many did not. Many would follow no more because they were beginning to see that this thing was not a carnival. This thing was getting really serious. The sunshine patriots would drift away. But from this point forward, the circle of disciples would tighten. I would really like to be in that group. Though none go with me, I still will follow. I want to be in that group. And I believe that that same sort of line in the sand is coming again in our time. And today it is paramount that we decide where we stand. Now listen to what I'm about to say. I hope you will listen with 100% of your attention to what I'm about to say. 
Being a Christian is still a chick and hip thing today. Being a Christian is still a cool thing to do. And it's been hijacked by any and everybody in our culture. I'm about to give an illustration, but I want you to know my heart on this. I have compassion for the person that I am about to describe. I have no hatred, no anger, no animosity. I get more frustrated with a bunch of Christian, supposed Christian leaders, you know, trying to, you know, to lead everybody to Jesus in their worldly ways than I do this person I'm about to describe. But I literally saw yesterday with my own eyes, stood in the presence of a homosexual woman, her face tattooed, her ears pierced, her nose pierced, those big rings in the lobes of her ear, and her hair dyed different colors. And I have no animosity toward her. I would as soon sit down and talk to her as I would a lot of people standing behind pulpits right now. But what, what really got my attention, because I see that a lot, right? We see that more and more. What got my attention was she was wearing a t-shirt, one of those Simply Southern t-shirts that a lot of you ladies like. And on the back of it, it had a verse from Psalms that talked about God's loving us. His faithful love. He loves us. And what I'm saying to you is that my thought was she has hijacked the truth of God to make it hers to say that she is accepted no matter what. And my point to you is just because you walk around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a, I'm a church member, I'm a Baptist, I, yeah, I love God and God loves me does not make you any more saved than that young lady. And just because she wears less mask or a different mask, I should say it accurately, she's not concealing the truth that she's not right. She's, she's just kind of owning it like I'm proud of my not rightness and I'm calling it right. But many of us in the church, we try to cover up that we're not right and put on our cloak of religion to say, look at me, I'm okay, I'm good. I mean, I'm in church, I lead in church, I sing, I, I do all kind of things, I'm good, I'm a spiritual person. And yet, no more saved than that young lady. It's still cool to be Christian in our day, but it won't be that way forever. I promise you, it's going to change. And I believe when it changes, it will happen suddenly. I believe right up until the moment when the hammer comes down on the true church in America, I believe it'll be cool to be a Christian. And then all of a sudden, the line will be drawn. Because Jesus is going to say to the true church, he's going to say, it's time to come out from among that. Will we be ready? Will we be ready to do that? This morning is about renewing our resolve to follow Jesus and to be in communion with the saints. So, I close the message from that time. Many of his disciples, verse 66 through 69, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. 